785 Magazine is proud to present KSEF Digital Radio, Topeka, Kansas. That's the thing you're listening to right now. And we're celebrating everything local and everything Topeka. Learn more at 785live.com. And thanks for tuning in. Government. We all know it's important to understand, be it state, local or national. But doesn't the thought of it just make you want to, well, drink? If so, you're in the right place. I'm Angel Romero, your politics and pints aficionado, and this is Ballots and Brews, where we'll talk all things local beer while also diving into what in the world is happening at the local, state, and national government and what you can do about it. It's Schoolhouse Rocks meets The Daily Show meets C-SPAN, so let's get this show started. And welcome to another packed edition of Ballots and Brews. Um, we are, our show is going to look a little bit different tonight. So we are so excited to have the Deputy Mayor of the City of Topeka and also the City Council Member for District 5 out in South Central Topeka. Councilman Mike Padilla is going to be our guest tonight. Um, it is actually Councilman Padilla's birthday today. So he actually decided to spend his birthday with us. And, uh, you know, I don't know if you all know this, but if you decide to spend your birthday with us on uh, Ballots and Brews, we actually automatically assume it's your 21st birthday. So um, you, if you um, if you know or see uh, Councilman Padilla out and about, you can wish him a happy 21st birthday on our behalf. But we are so excited to have um, a really in-depth interview with him tonight that I think you all are going to find really interesting, really fascinating. He has a really unique background and some really fascinating thoughts um, about his time on the City Council and some things moving forward. So we are so excited to have Councilman Padilla on the show uh, this evening. Uh, as we get started, um, instead of having our, our brewer guest, our bar guest tonight. We actually just have a, a couple quick hits that we just want to give you uh, some things that are going on in the world of Topeka uh, beer um, as it stands right now. So just a couple things we want to let you know about that are exciting and you know, as we are all sitting at home um, trying not to freeze in this last week and thinking about warm thoughts and about you know, being able to finally get out and about someday as the number of uh, COVID cases continues to decline in our community. We have some, um, some news that can uh, brighten your spirits and, and keep that positivity uh, going. So the first up, you might have seen this on Facebook today. This was a big announcement from our friends at the Brookwood Shopping Center over on 29th Street. Um, they announced that the burger stand is actually relocating uh, from College Hill to uh, the Brookwood Shopping Center. Uh, so that is actually going to happen in March. Um, they're going to relocate and in March they'll be open in time to do carryout orders from there. Um, and then by May, they actually plan to be fully open in May for in person uh, dining. Uh, so that's something to look forward to here in the next uh, couple mo- a couple months as the Burger Stand uh, relocates from their College Hill location to the Brookwood Shopping Center um, in time for uh, carryout in March and dine-in starting in May. So you can look for uh, the Burger Stand's new location starting up there at Brookwood Shopping Center here soon. Uh, the next thing to let you know about as we thinking as we start to think about getting back to some sense of normal here in the next couple months, um, there is a date for tap that. The Downtown Topeka Brew Festival does have a date identified. That is June 12th. So June 12th this summer. Um, you can plan on getting back together downtown um, to hit up the Tap That Beer Festival. Uh, it's always a great time. One of my favorite events that downtown Topeka has over the summer. And so, of course, we don't know exactly what all uh, procedures will look like for that event. You know, will there be social distancing? All that kind of stuff. Um, but we do know we've got a date June 12th. Um, this summer, you can actually look it up on Facebook as well to get more information and I think they might even be selling tickets already as well if you really want to get excited and go out there and buy your tickets but 
June 12th, this summer is the date identified for Tap That. Um, and then we have to share some cool news from our friends at Happy Bassett Brewery. Um, you can actually go to Happy Bassett right now and get yourself the 785 Pale Ale. Uh, so how cool is that? We found out that our friends at Happy Bassett were brewing this new beer called the 785 Pale Ale. So you can find that at uh, both Happy Bassett locations. Uh, from what we're told, it is a, it's got some notes of citrus in it. And it's a bit of a hoppy beer. So if you're folks like me that like your that like your beer nice and hoppy, it sounds like it'll be a good uh, a good taste for you. But if you happen to make it out to Happy Bassett and sample the new 785 Pale Ale, make sure to uh, snap some photos um, and share them on social media. Tag us in those so we can see you enjoying your new 785 uh, Pale Ale. Um, and of course, at Happy Bassett, you can also pick up a copy of 785 Magazine as well while you're in there. So it's a great pairing. So make sure to pick up a copy of 785 Magazine and try the new 785 Pale Ale um, out at both uh, Happy Bassett locations. So there's your, your quick hit for today. We just want to give you um, a little taster, if you will, um, of some uh, some new uh, some news in the uh, brewing world here in Topeka. So look out for that new location for Burger Stand out at College uh, at uh, Brookwood Shopping Center, moving from College Hill. Uh, save the date for Tap That on June 12th, and try the new Save Lake 5 Pale Ale at either Happy Bassett location. Um, so folks, I mentioned we have the Deputy Mayor on today, so we are so, so excited to welcome uh, Mike Padilla to the show. So we are going to get to him right after we take this quick break. You're listening to Bouts and Brews here on KSF 785 Live Radio. All right, folks, it's time to do the roundup tonight. We're going to talk about some things happening um, at the city, state, and a little bit of federal level tonight. Um, so start off with city government first. So we are going to get to talk with Councilman Padilla here in just a little bit more about some of these issues. But just to give you a little uh, a little appetizer uh, of some things going on in city government. Of course, city council met on Tuesday night to talk about a variety um, of issues. One of the things they started off uh, doing first was talking about the census. Um, and nothing gets I no, nothing gets more exciting than talking about the decennial census. Uh, but actually, as, uh, as Councilman uh, Padilla is going to talk to you about here in a moment, the census is hugely, hugely important uh, for our community for lots of reasons. Um, and so they actually start off the city council meeting uh, talking about the census um, and really thanking uh, all the city staff that came together to make census collection possible last year. Uh, we still haven't seen the final results of the census. That'll come out here probably a few months, uh, but it was a real massive undertaking to uh, put that all together, as the councilman will talk about here in a moment. Um, he actually mentioned it was one of the most important things we do as a city. I think that was actually the city manager, Brett Trout, that said that. Um, and actually kind of a cool note there, uh, the uh, the mayor and councilman Padilla wanted to show their appreciation to city staff, and so staff all got uh, very cool uh, Topeka challenge coins from the mayor. So those of you that are familiar with the uh, tradition of challenge coins, in the military. These are special, unique coins that are handed out um, that are usually imprinted with different uh, specialized logos and things like that um, that are usually given on behalf of an elected official or somebody in authority to recognize folks. And so the mayor uh, gave out, uh, is issuing challenge coins or giving challenge coins in recognition to those staff members uh, and their efforts for the census. So more to come on that. Uh, the council did also amend their rules to continue meeting virtually. So we are going to see a lot more 
more Zoom uh, city council meetings, um, at least for a little bit. They're going to actually, in March, transition back to some hybrid meetings um, that were done last year. And so for those meetings, they'll have a couple uh, members, uh, those that feel comfortable and that can be socially distanced, uh, actually in the city council chambers, uh, while they'll still have some uh, council members attending uh, via Zoom. Um, and they'll have limited space, I think, around like 18 seats or so uh, in the audience, socially distanced, for people to come and actually be at the meetings in person. And so they're hopeful that that will help uh, make the meetings more accessible to folks who maybe weren't, did not have access to Zoom before. So uh, still lots more chances to see the inside of city council members' homes for uh, the next couple months. Uh, the council also spent a considerable amount of time um, review, reviewing and considering for implementation a new international building code. And I know nothing gets more exciting uh, to folks than thinking about adopting new standards for building. Uh, however, uh, this occupied a, a quite a bit, a bit of time and discussion on the city council's agenda, uh, mostly related to uh, how long it would take city staff once the code is adopted to actually implement it. Um, there is really a feeling uh, amongst council members that it was taking uh, city staff a long time to um, to get these codes updated and by the time are getting them implemented and by the time the codes are implemented it's time to institute a new uh, set of codes um, from, that are industry standards and so there was actually a lot of talk and then of course we had to bring other cities into it and so there's conversation about well this process moves quicker in the city of Lawrence um, than it does in Topeka and is there a reason for that and that sort of thing and so um, they spent a lot of time did not come to a, uh, a decision on that at Tuesday night's meeting they actually sent it back to committee uh, to review and, and to really address um, how uh, city staff can work to implement uh, that that code that new code faster um, and just so we're clear this is you know the code that talks about um, all kinds of standards for um, how building and construction is done in the community so it covers quite a, a wide array array of things um, and so there's still some more work to come on that. Uh, they also talked about some special benefit districts Tuesday night. So if you have the pleasure of living in Aquarian Acres or in Misty Harbor subdivisions, uh, you might see some uh, new uh, payments uh, on, your, on your bill if you decide to move to those. Uh, if you decide to move into those neighborhoods. Um, folks who live in some of those subdivisions might um, re, uh, be familiar with something that's commonly called specials. Um, and so this is for those of you that live in subdivisions as you're looking at uh, your property tax bill and that sort of thing, or looking at what you'll be paying um, for living in those subdivisions. Um, these are additional fees uh, that the city can levy on uh, uh, just residents in a particular area uh, for improvements in that area. And this case for both uh, Aquarian, a Aquarian Acres and Misty Harbor subdivision, um, they were having a special benefits district created within those subdivisions for some uh, road improvements. And so that is an option that neighborhoods and subdivisions have is they can actually petition the city to create one of these special benefits districts uh, to have uh, city crews come out and do work um, on uh, rather it's road or other kind of infrastructure in those subdivisions. Um, and then that 
that work is paid for um, by a special fee that's levied um, across uh, on homes for residents that lives just within that district, within that area. Uh, so, you know, we've talked uh, before about, you know, those tax uh, uh, increment financing uh, districts, uh, TIF districts earlier in the year for businesses to be able to invest in a particular area with a tax that's levied just in that particular um, business's uh, area. Um, this is uh, something that's slightly similar, but for residential neighborhoods. Um, and so for those neighborhoods that would like um, some additional work um, in their neighborhoods, they do have that ability to ask for a special benefits district um, to be created as long as certain criteria is met. Um, and so the council did approve uh, the creation of those districts uh, for both Aquarian Acres uh, and Misty Harbor subdivisions on Tuesday night. Um, uh, they also had some interesting discussion on something called short-term rentals. Um, this would be the uh, Airbnbs and VRBOs of the world. Uh, so this is uh, a great example of the city council and uh, city ordinance really trying to get hip with the times um, and uh, really thinking about how do they accommodate for, um, for new types of businesses and new types of operations happening within the city. So, of course, uh, as we all travel, we all know now about Airbnb and that ability to be able to stay um, in an Airbnb usually situated oftentimes in a neighborhood um, in different cities on residential streets. Um, and so it had really come to the attention of the city that there are more of these Airbnbs popping up throughout the city of Topeka um, and they're not really defined in city code. And so there's been some concern amongst some residents, particularly uh, neighbors of those um, who have, uh, who operate uh, Airbnbs uh, about uh, the regulation of those Airbnbs to make sure that they aren't getting out, out of control, that they aren't contributing to any bad things happening in neighborhoods. Um, as it fits right now, um, Airbnbs are essentially treated like bed and breakfasts. Uh, bed and breakfasts? Breakfasts. One of those words. Uh, they are, they fall under that category within city ordinance, and so that's how they're treated. Um, and so what the city is now doing is creating a new category under city ordinance for short-term rentals that would apply to these uh, Airbnbs in the community. And it basically sets up some standards. You know, it says it, it has a, some restrictions on how many of these short-term rentals you can have in one area just so that you're basically not creating an entire neighborhood that's all Airbnbs. Uh, it puts some restrictions on what you can do at the Airbnbs and so you can't operate them essentially as event venues. Uh, so you can't you know, use them to offer up weddings or, or other kinds of parties. Um, it does not stop you from having your own backyard wedding, uh, shindig, anything like that. But if you are uh, operating uh, the, the Airbnb specifically for the purpose of holding events that that is not allowed um, you know it says the Airbnb really has to truly look like a home or residence it can't look like a business um, in the way that operates and its appearance as well that it really needs to look uh, more like a, a traditional uh, residence again to to really protect the uh, the integrity of the neighborhood um, also put some uh, restrictions to on, on parking um, in the neighborhood too um, so that you can't have you know, 20 cars parked um, on the street around these Airbnbs. So again, a way to kind of protect the integrity of neighborhoods uh, where these Airbnbs are popped uh, are, are popping up um, and also puts in some provisions uh, for some special licenses uh, that you do have to apply for uh, to cover uh, these short-term rentals. So uh, uh, an update to our 
city code. And this is something that's kind of interesting, especially when you look at city and state laws. You know, sometimes these laws were written or these ordinances were written uh, years and years ago. Some of them are original to the city charter. Uh, and new things pop up, but new technologies or new concepts like Airbnb. And as people try to apply old laws to new technology or, or new trends, um, it doesn't always work. And so this is an example of the city uh, trying to be uh, proactive in that way. Uh, the city also talked more about their capital improvement project uh, plan. So this is the sort of 10-year strategic plan uh, for the growth of the city when it comes to investing in those big projects, big infrastructure projects, construction projects, that sort of thing. Um, and so Councilman uh, Padilla is going to talk about uh, the SIP, as the cool kids call it, uh, more here in a little bit, um, and how community members can be involved. Um, and before we go to, we can't leave out talking about just a little bit of the craziness happening at the state legislature. Today's talk is all about gambling, colleges, and power. Uh, so the first we're going to do the fun part, which is gambling. Uh, gambling has been a hot topic in the legislature for several years, uh, but not just any gambling, sports gambling. So those of you cool kids out there uh, probably know all about websites like DraftKings and FanDuel and places like that, unlike uh, my non-sports ball self who had to search for those websites online uh, like I was looking for a speakeasy, uh, unsure of what I was going to find. Uh, turns out these are actually legitimate businesses uh, and multi-million dollar businesses while we're at it. Uh, they are legit, uh, but not every state allows their residents to legally engage in sports gambling. And so that's what we've been trying to fix here in Kansas. Uh, just as some background, uh, this business exploded uh, back in 2018 due to a United States Supreme Court ruling uh, that granted states the ability or held that states have the ability uh, to regulate sports gambling uh, in their states. Um, and since then, states saw some dollar signs in their eyes um, and about half the states have legalized some form of legal sports gambling as a revenue driver in their states. Uh, one of the big debates in Kansas this hasn't been necessarily rather we should have sports gambling or not, but how to do it. Um, that's really been uh, the debate the last couple years, and um, that showed up again this year. There are right now two competing bills that would allow sports gambling in Kansas. On the House side, you have House Bill 2199. Um, the House bill would allow the Kansas Lottery uh, to contract with retailers uh, in addition to the four state-owned casinos and any racetrack in the state to implement sports betting at their locations. Um, and when we talk about sports betting at those locations, we mean both physically at those locations as well as operated um, online through an app or something like that that would be uh, created by the, the lottery. Uh, so that's on the House side. On the Senate side, you have Senate Bill 84, which would allow sports betting to happen, but would only be exclusively at the state's four state-owned casinos. So you've got the House side that says, yes, absolutely gamble to your heart's content on sports, uh, but do it on, but you do it at the state-owned casinos, at any racetracks in the state, um, and any retailers that the lottery chooses to contract with. So that could be you know stores, that could be convenience stores, that sort of thing. Uh, the Senate side says, absolutely, we want to 
get in on this action, but only do it at the state-owned casinos, the four state-owned casinos. So you're really talking about a difference in terms of uh, where you can do it, um, as well as there's also some different uh, uh, some differences in what the state's share of the revenue will be uh, on the Senate side. So again, remember, the Senate just wants to see sports wagering happen at the four state-owned casinos. Um, under their plan, the state would receive 7.5% of the share on in-house sports revenue um, and 10% on any online bets that are placed um, through those locations. Uh, the House bill allows the state to receive 14% um, of their sh- uh, of the share of revenue for in-house casino and track betting and 20% of the share for online bets. Um, and it also, uh, and for online bets are handled at the casinos and tracks. Um, the House bill would also give the lottery the ability to negotiate with retailers on um, how much the state would receive. So there's no set percentage under the House's plan uh, on how much the state would get from retailers. That would all be negotiated between the lottery and retailers. Uh, So two different approaches um, in terms of the number of places you can go and how much money the state will get um, for their share from uh, the revenue bought in by sports uh, by sports uh, wagering. Um, This does represent a pretty uh, lucrative deal for the state. It's learned a lot of people that are eager to to see uh, this come to fruition, to see one of these bills make it to uh, final action. Uh, just a side note to the process of legalizing sports gambling has been a very interesting one, and I encourage you to, to look it up. Um, it's another example of trying to apply old laws to new technology. So lots of interesting stuff out there. Um, let's see. We're going to talk also finally um, about, uh, we're going to talk about colleges first. We're going to talk about uh, COVID relief. Um, you know, we, we know lots of places are looking at how they're going to recover from COVID-19. That includes Kansas colleges and universities. Uh, the Board of Regents, which is the governing body for state universities, has been grappling with how to handle um, what has been a huge drop in revenue that has occurred at their universities due to COVID-19. Um, the Regents recently passed a policy that would give their universities more freedom uh, to terminate, uh, suspend, or dismiss their employees, including tenured faculty, uh, a, a policy which you can imagine has not been too popular with the faculties at the various state universities, um, but it's a tool that the regents were trying to give universities to be able to handle these massive uh, drops in revenue. <laughs> the universities do have to submit uh, a plan to the regents actually pretty soon here, by early March, uh, for how they will take advantage of that policy. Um, of course, universities are looking at a variety of other options, too, um, and also trying to accommodate students um, as well throughout this process. Uh, many universities have refunded students some of their fees for things like parking and housing and, and stuff like that. Uh, but there are some in the legislature that actually want to go even further. Uh, the House Appropriations Committee yesterday actually voted to add a clause in the region's budget that would require universities to issue a 100% tuition refund for for every day of canceled class and a 50% tuition break for every class that had to be delivered online. The bill is actually introduced by State Representative Sean Tarwater, who is none too happy uh, with all this schooling online. Uh, This is also the same uh, representative who hates the idea of K-12 remote learning and has asked if the Wichita and KCK public school districts could be stripped of their COVID-19 funding uh, due to implementing remote schooling. So 
I don't know what the internet did to Representative Tarwater, but he clearly doesn't like it. Uh, I don't know if he got cheated out of an AOL free trial thing back in the day or what. Um, so uh, while that amendment made it into uh, made it uh, out of committee, uh, anything can still happen uh, before that budget makes it to uh, the floor for a vote. Uh, so we will see what happens. And finally, is there anyone else out there that maybe stubbed their toe trying to walk around their house with no lights on or uh, was layered up in 15 layers of clothing because you set your thermostat down to 65 degrees, which for apparently cold-blooded people like me might as well be Antarctica. Uh, there's probably some of you that have, and all this, of course, was uh, precipitated by the massive drain on the energy grid uh, that resulted from the uh, recent bout of winter weather we had. Uh, there's lots of talk and information out there about just what happened and, and what caused um, some of the energy conservation and energy outages that are uh, that we saw this last week. So uh, just to put some information, some clarifying information out there and give you a little bit of background. Turns out we are part of something called the Southwest Power Pool, or SPP, as apparently the cool kids say. Uh, this represents a massive section of the Midwestern part of the United States, from the Canada border all the way down to Mexico. Um, now, because it was practically Siberia outside for last week, everyone and their dog, of course, was dreaming on the power grid to heat their homes and, you know, generally survive. Uh, this triggered a perfect storm of events. Everything from wind turbines freezing to natural coal, uh, natural gas uh, and coal power plants freezing up. Um, some of those plants, of course, not being properly weatherized, winterized in their uh, in their home states, and so those plants began to freeze up, um, and extraction of those materials became much harder. Uh, all of which combined to what is apparently called a level three energy emergency for the SPP, which I had no idea was a thing. Um, but that is when power dips below the reserves that are available and uh, that is not good uh, apparently. Uh, this led to um, the implementation of rolling blackouts uh, throughout Kansas and other parts of the United States um, and calls to conserve energy usage um, throughout the Midwest in order to stave off larger uh, blackouts. Um, in other words, this also turned out to be the best excuse I've had to not do laundry or dishes in forever. Uh, it's important to note these blackouts were triggered by the powers that be at the SPP who reached out and asked all their regional energy providers, including Evergy, to cut back on their power usage within their respective areas and districts. Um, so if you thought that Evergy just had out for you, I hate to break it to you, but you're not quite that special. Um, and of course, there's been lots of talks from some, uh, particularly on the right, about the uselessness of solar and wind energy uh, because of this. Uh, just some background to note, um, it turns out across the entire Southwest power pool, 31.3% uh, of that power comes from wind, 30.9% comes from coal, 26.6% from natural gas, and 6.4% from nuclear. Uh, so there's actually a wide range of things that factor into uh, the, the Southwest power pool. Um, and actually, in addition, coal power plants had their own issues. Um, as the Kansas Reflector reported, Energy executives uh, noted that, of course, when coal freezes 
is as it did. Uh, moisture makes that coal harden into uh, to cement, basically. Um, and it then, of course, has to be broken apart and loaded manually into the power plant. This process, of course, takes a lot more time and energy and effort to do. Um, and then even once that coal is then burned, it doesn't generate as much electricity because of the moisture and the temperature that burns at. Uh, on top of all of this, uh, it must also be mentioned that we've also known that our overall power grid is aging and could be susceptible to these kind of challenges. We've known that for a little while now. Uh, so it might behoove our lawmakers to take a more pro proactive look at America's aging power system to create some long-lasting change. So just some, uh, just some food for thought out there. Uh, so folks, I think that's going to wrap up our roundup for today. But go ahead and stay tuned after this break. We are so excited to have the birthday boy, Councilman Mike Padilla, uh, with us tonight to chat about the city council and much more. So stay tuned after the break. Um, you're listening to Ballads and Brews here at KSF 785 Live Radio. Folks, we are so excited for our next guest this evening, who is stopping by on his birthday of all days. We are so excited to have the Deputy Mayor of Topeka and District 5 City Council member Mike Padilla with us tonight. Mike, thanks for hanging out with us on your birthday. Well, thank you, Angel, for the invitation, and I'm glad to be here. Absolutely. What a way to celebrate your 21st birthday. I tell you what, hanging out with us. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, well, Mike, Four or five times over. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. Well, Mike, you know, just as we get started off, can you tell us just um, a little bit about yourself outside of your, your city council role? Oh, from the beginning to now, or just generally <laughs> right about now? Oh, uh, you know, we'll give as much as you want. You, you can give us the, your, your origin story, your whole story if you want. <laughs> well, you know, I think everybody knows that uh, I was born and raised here in Topeka. Uh, I'm second generation. Uh, I had uh, four brothers. We came from a good-sized family. Uh, my mother and father were good, hard-working Catholics in the community and they kept very busy and uh, my dad kind of set a uh, a tone for us as young men in our family and that was to uh, help others whenever you can and he he did that on a regular basis and through my life I saw him continue to do that even until he was uh, much older uh, and so uh, for me uh, I see Topeka as a lifelong resident and I've seen the changes that it's gone through and I'm, I'm glad to be here. I know some folks seem to think that uh, we're going backwards, but I really don't believe that and I am uh, always involved with something and someone to move the city forward and uh, so even when I'm not sitting on the council I try to uh, contact people who have ideas and interests that maybe I can help them with so uh, that's kind of of what I do as a private citizen. I, I like to enjoy time with my family. Um, and and that uh, sometimes gets uh, crunched because of other obligations, but I try to make that my priority. Absolutely. Well, that's good. So you've got a good uh, partner in crime with you, too. I know your wife, Veronica, and you uh, do a lot of things together as well, which must be kind of nice also. Yeah, you're right. I'm glad you brought that up because, you know, for years and years now, Ronnie and I have uh, in some ways gone our 
separate ways with organizations that we work with, but oftentimes we come back together and work collaboratively on the same thing with same groups. I'll ask her to join me. She'll ask me to join her. And yeah, she's, she's been my support. And I tell you, uh, she keeps me going some days when I'm <laughs> ready to, ready to stop. She'll give me that extra push. That's awesome. That's awesome. We all, we all need that. That's great. Oh yeah. Uh, so, you know, you, you talk about your, your background and growing up in the, in the city. So, you know, what motivated you to want to run for city council? Uh, well, you know, that was something that uh, um, didn't come to me as a lightning bolt. Um, <laughs> as, as a city employee, uh, I very much immediately felt a lot of the actions taken by the city council as soon as they happened, because uh, they affected not only my uh, personal life, but my professional life. And so I, I was always attuned to what the city council was doing. I um, listened in. I went to council meetings. I tried to make myself familiar with the people who were sitting on council. And and I did that throughout my career on the Topeka Police Department. And, and that interest uh, helped me as a police officer, because I would uh, volunteer for some things. I as a police officer, I gave um, cultural diversity training to all of the city employees at one point as part of a oh, team. Wow. And so uh, I continued that interest. And so it partnered me with a lot of city staff and council members coming and going. I remember good relationships and fun I used to have with then water commissioner Jack Alexander. Uh, I mean, I go way that that far back being involved with local politicians. Uh, and so as my career continued and as I got a little bit older and had more opportunity and more free time, I got even more involved with some things. And then when I did come to that point where I was retired for about the third time, I thought, well, I'm not ready to stay home. So I got to keep working. And, and maybe now I have even more time to help others, um, in, uh, the capacity of a city council person. So that's how, what drew me to it. And I thought, well, now that I have even more time available, uh, I'm going to uh, run for office and uh, hopefully get elected and try to do the best I can while I'm in office. That's, that's a pretty, it's a pretty nice, uh, pretty nice retirement gig to have there. Yeah. <laughs> was there, you know, as you were campaigning, was there anything that, that surprised you um, as you were campaigning or that you weren't really expecting? You know, uh, I think I had a pretty good feel for uh, a lot of the uh, um, sentiments uh, that were being uh, expressed during that time during my campaign four years ago, um, but uh, almost four years ago. Uh, the one thing that I was maybe a little more surprised about and honestly a little bit disappointed in was the number of people I spoke to that knocked on their doors and they came right out and said they just didn't uh, participate in local elections or in many cases, uh, national elections. And that's pretty disappointing because you really want people to participate at the at that level so that they at least uh, feel that maybe their concerns will be represented by the people that, who are elected. Because otherwise, you really don't feel like, well, whoever gets elected, well, I could have, should have, would have. That doesn't help if you don't go to the ballots. And, and so I tried to do everything I could to uh, not uh, criticize them for that, but I did try to encourage them as much as I could 
to go to the ballots and obviously ask them for their vote. But I think I was a little surprised at the level of non-participation that I ran into. Sure. Well, as as we've talked about on this show before, too, local elections are, in many ways, those elections that really touch your life the most. Uh, You know, the streets you drive on every day and the services that you interact with every day, those kinds of things are the things that the city government really impacts the most in our lives. Yes, exactly. You know, uh, sometimes you feel really disconnected from both the state and federal government. But uh, local government, you can you know who's in your district. You can reach out to them. You can uh, uh, visit with them. Uh, I mean, you have access to that representative more so than any other level of government. And like you said, it, it affects you most immediately. Uh, streets, uh, uh, economic development, housing, all that stuff uh, is right here local. And so that's really the, your best uh, shot at having your voice heard. Absolutely. Well, so let's you know, talk about some of the issues that are going on um, in front of the council right now. So you know, at this week's uh, council meeting, you actually got uh, to, sh- to share a little bit about the census. So you were kind of the council's uh, point person uh, for the census. Can you talk a little bit about that work um, and why the census was so important for our community? Oh, yeah, we did. Thank you, uh, Angel. Um, First off, uh, if you follow the council meeting, the first thing I wanted to do was to thank all the partners that I had in that work. Uh, When the mayor asked me to uh, be the point person for the count for the city on the census, a complete census, uh, I accepted and immediately knew that it was this was a huge job that required all kinds of partners to help with the work uh, because. Um, the first some, uh, real hurdle we had was getting people to hear the message about how the census affects us and affects us for a long time. Uh, it it uh, uh, is there with us, and then uh, the results of the that uh, are, are with us for a minimum of. That was the first hurdle, was trying to uh, get people to recognize the importance of it. And even those, like I mentioned earlier, who said don't participate in an election, that still is yet another way for them to be counted uh, in the work of of the city. Uh, Even if you're not voting, uh, at least if we count you and we know that you're here in the peak of that helps with our numbers, our demographics, it helps us make the best case possible for the needs that we have in our local community and, and be in real, real competition for those federal funds. Uh, if we don't do a real good job about of that, then those federal funds go to another community and not to, not to, uh, uh, you know, uh, take away from another community. We just want our fair share and the fair share comes by us making an accurate account. So that was, that's the real importance of it. A lot of what happens in our local community is supported, generated and made possible because of the distribution of federal funds. And so that uh, account is just extremely important. It goes to, like we talked about earlier, the roads and sidewalks and the uh, school districts, uh, um, fire uh, equipment, police equipment, health care, huge, huge health care issues and needs. I mean, that really has to be there so that people know where we are, know what we need, and are able to give us those things that make our community thrive and keep our people um, 
safe and healthy. And so uh, that's the that's the real importance of the, of the census. It's not just a number count. It's just a real kind of a. I, I like to kind of think of it as a kind of a check of the pulse of your community. Sure. How many people? are participating, where are they, what do they need, and you really just don't want to leave anybody out. And I was so fortunate to have all the partners that worked with us, and we had a huge group of meetings, and then we had small group meetings. Uh, we had uh, independent efforts that kind of coordinated with what the city was doing, and so we were able to really, I think, make a good accounting of ourselves. Uh, we don't know all the results, so forth. But another thing that uh, it helps f with us in the state of Kansas is our representation at the federal level oh, and the, rep the representatives that we have. And I'm very concerned that if Kansas doesn't get all of its numbers in, uh, we could lose uh, a representative. And that's the last thing you want to happen. If anything else, you want more representation. So uh, when people want their voices to be heard, it has to start at the grassroots level. So it works its way up to those people who can make uh, changes for us. Absolutely. Gosh, yeah. I, I don't think people always realize just how many uh, connections the census has to, to so much uh, that happens in our in our community. So thank you for all your efforts on that. And that was a great celebration on Tuesday night of all the people that, that made that possible, and especially for them to get the mayor's really cool challenge coins. That was a really, uh, a really neat thing to happen. Yeah, I didn't even get one of those, but that's okay. <laughs> I mean, the the, the really the real uh, work was done by staff and others, and I wanted to make sure that they were recognized for their efforts because they made it happen. There's nothing that I did on my own that could have made any kind of an impact. Well, sure. Well, sure. well, and you know, we should also talk to you when it comes to city staff in the, the city council. Um, you know, there's a lot of uh, long-term, long-range planning that's going on right now. One of the discussions that happened at the meeting on Tuesday was about the capital improvement plan. Um, and this is something yeah. that I think a lot of people may not know about, but it's a really um, important topic um, and a large uh, conversation, too. Can you talk uh, for folks uh, just a little bit about what the capital improvement plan um, is and why it's important for our city? Well, it's a huge document. <laughs> it's very detailed. There's a lot of information in there. And you really have to take some time to take it all in. So that's, I think, adds to some of the um, uh, lack of information that makes it to uh, sure. every household. I think that's just tough. Uh, I remember the first, uh, when I looked at, when I first came on council, it was like, oh my gosh, this is overwhelming. <laughs> right. But you, you really have to uh, take it apart. And um, I'm going to say this before I kind of get into the, the meat of it, is that the staff has done a real good job of changing, I think, the approach to the CIP. Uh, like I said, when I first came on, much of it was here's here's the CIP. Uh, uh, we'll see you in a, about two days, <laughs> and we'll talk about it. Well, it made me a little more exaggerated, but there was little time to really get into get to all the details, and it was is uh, a lot to take in. So now what they've done is they've kind of chopped it up in little bites. We have one-on-one uh, -on -one workshops with the staff 
so that they can talk to each individual council member or with a couple of them at the same time, go over it uh, kind of in a step-by-step approach, uh, answer questions that they may have so that we're not looking at all the questions being asked at the end of the of the process. We're uh, answering questions as we go along so that hopefully all those uh, bumps and hurdles and and uh, questions about why, why we're doing what we're doing are asked well in advance so that the problems uh, that may be encountered can be worked on before we get to the end of the process. And, and so well, compliments again to the staff and city manager who have put this kind of progress, progressive uh, look at our CIP um, into place because it's been very helpful to me and I know uh, my fellow council members have expressed that same appreciation for that for that uh, uh, method of, of presenting a very large amount of information um, in a short amount of time really and what it does <clears throat> for the city I think answers for the policymakers, but also for a lot of the constituents who are active in our community who want to know why is this happening in my area? Why is this not happening in my area? When will I see improvements? Why don't I see improvements? Um, it helps answer those questions because the CIP really takes a detailed look at how we hope to improve conditions in the city. Uh, most often, this is what people talk about is roads, but there are a lot of other things involved. Uh, and, uh, and so this gives us a strategic pathway to get to our goals. And the CIP really can help uh, myself and other council members who say, okay, well, I like what you presented, but have you considered this option uh, as well? And maybe move some things around that, that, uh, uh, have been put off for about four or five years and say, well, wait a minute, these are in a condition or in a, a state that that needs to be moved forward by a year or two to help uh, with that planning so that the city has its available resources and funding and staff and time to get as much possible done with the resources that we have because we have to be practical like you, me, and everybody else in your household. You plan for what you can afford and what you can't afford. Absolutely. And that's what really what the city, what the city is trying to do. Uh, we'd love to have the pie in the sky, but uh, and that doesn't mean we won't work for it, but we need to know that there, it, there's uh, uh, it's a long-term effort. It's it's a run. I mean, a marathon. Uh, but you can have set goals and and benchmarks. I think that the CIP helps set for us so that we know we're making progress. That we're not just going through the motions of reading a document, of putting work out there without some strategic plan to it. So the CIP is really important. I know that we get some. Uh, citizen participation when they have the opportunity to have uh, citizen meetings about the CIP. Uh, I promote it as much as I can. I encourage people take a little time 
you know, and maybe you can't stay for a whole meeting, but take a little time sure. to listen to what's being talked about and said, because if there's something that uh, particularly is of interest to you, you can dig it out, that CIP. And if you have trouble finding it, ask your council person to help you find it and answer, ask them the questions. So hopefully you'll feel more satisfied that we're making a diligent effort in our in our work. So. I hope that wasn't too long and rambling, but no. I think really that's what the CIP seems to do. Absolutely. Well, and for our listeners out there, we are going to actually put a link on our Facebook and Twitter pages, uh, too, where you can actually see uh, the draft CIP and also uh, past CIP plans as well, um, just so that you can have a chance to review that information um, as well. And there will also be information on there about upcoming uh, meeting dates and, and whatnot as well. Um, it is, as Mike said, it is a lot of information, uh, but it is uh, really important and really kind of fascinating information. In, in, in a lot of ways. Oh, yeah. Well, Mike, one last thing um, I'll ask you about here issue-wise is um, you know, I wanted to say you, you've got kind of a unique background um, as a city council member. You know, you've been um, in, in law enforcement for, for most of your life, uh, both with the Topeka Police Department and with the uh, Capitol Police, um, you know, the Highway Patrol. Uh, you know, how has that background, you think, uh, helped you, as, especially as the city um, has worked in the last um, year or so on you know, that relationship between law enforcement and the public, which has become something that's gotten a lot of attention? How do you think that background Well, uh, I was in a meeting just yesterday. We're kind of talking about uh, experience, background uh, on some candidates that we were looking for a job uh, here in Topeka uh, that addresses gun violence. Mm. And one of the things that uh, we noted in some of our applicants is that uh, their experience uh, with Oh, let's say law enforcement issues was pretty good, but uh, there was uh, less there for us to evaluate with regards to how that translates to community involvement, community engagement outside of the traditional role of law enforcement. And for my career, uh, for the most part, um, I've been a pretty unconventional police officer um, and and. I, I, I speak cautiously because I don't want people to think that uh, I, di- I didn't like, I mean, I love being a police officer. The only reason I left is because I reached the perfect age to do it and <laughs> I had other opportunities available to me. Uh, but I, I would have stayed uh, uh, except for that because I was, I've never got to that point of being disgruntled about my job or jaded about my job because I always try to work outside of the what you might call a circle of normal organizations and relationships that a police officer might encounter during their career. Uh, you know, like everybody else, you do the mandatory trainings um, that are related to your work as a law enforcement officer. But then I would seek things put me in a room where I was the only one. <laughs> and believe me, uh, very regularly, I was the only Hispanic for sure, because uh, it was pretty obvious. But typically it was like, OK, I'm the only person in law enforcement here. And when I worked through some of these, I found that people were very interested in law enforcement. Uh, I would get more attention and questions sometimes in some of the other professions because people will in real life. How does this translate? <laughs> sure. uh, you know. Is it like on TV? No, no, it isn't. Uh, so 
so I used that interest in law enforcement, I guess, to my advantage to introduce myself to others outside of my uh, circle of law enforcement friends. And so after 34 years, I developed quite a network of people that I had talked with about their issues and how law enforcement interacted with the needs of their concerns. And I think that engagement uh, outside of just the what you might think expected uh, law enforcement associations and, and work really helped me as a person. And it also helped me, I think, to be, I hope, uh, to be have been a more uh, uh, empathetic and and a better police officer. Sure. Uh, it gave me perspectives that that maybe wouldn't have come to me if I hadn't extended myself into the community. So uh, that that has served me well. Um, and each time I left, well, when I left the police department, I had two opportunities that came to me. And they came to me because they knew me from some of that other involvement. Sure. So people knew that I was used to working with people. Um, uh, I, in, in fact, uh uh, the, uh, an exciting team environment is something I thrive in. Uh, I used I used to tell my wife, yeah, I know, I, sometime I'd come home from a meeting and be really energized. And she said, wow, it sounds like you had a good meeting. I said, yeah. I said, I really like being in a room with a bunch of smart people and listening to their ideas and taking from their ideas and and thinking how that can help with what I want to get accomplished. And so for me, uh, that has always been, I think, the big bonus that came with me as being a police officer. And, and that's what I think when I uh, talk about uh, the community engagement, how, how much I think I've been able to look at problems across the city from a wide perspective. And I think, so my time as a law enforcement officer, I think has served me well because it really gave me a better overview of the community and a lot of the interactions that sometimes people don't think happen between law enforcement. Sure. Well, yeah, that's a, an awesome perspective to, to have. And I'm sure really helpful to, to other members of, of the council as well. Several occasions when we've discussed issues about police and community relations among my colleagues, we have sat in the room and talked and visited and they all asked me, well, Mike, what have you seen over the years and what do you see now? And what's what's the, I guess, truth about it is can you give us uh, that perspective? Because we've never had anybody on the council who's actually lived it sure. and and. You know, I know there were people asking me about, oh, let's say when we had those that uh, those uh, demonstrations uh, uh, in Topeka and we had uh, uh, 
the people who went to the law enforcement center and was causing vandalism and so forth. And we had officers on a line and they were saying, well, why did they do this? Why do that? You know, and I was able to tell them, you know, in my time as a police officer, I've worn that gear. I've worn that helmet. I've had to stand on that line. I've had to take all the uh, insults and other things that come at you while you're doing that. But I, I know what it's like. So uh, you need to give a voice, uh, hear the voice of the people who have to do that job before you start to uh, say, well, you could have, should have, would have done this. Um, and and so they have told me they appreciated that that perspective. And I try not to make it just mine, but a, but a con- accumulation of of the of the voices that I hear from my uh, comrades in arms at the police department, uh, um, people, friends that I still have at uh, uh, the, the highway patrol, uh, people that I uh, uh, made friends with at the Department of Alcoholic Beverage Control when I was their chief of enforcement. So I try to make it not just my perspective and my thoughts or ideas, but throw out something that maybe wasn't before uh, talked about in in a room of policymakers because there wasn't the first-hand experience available to them. Sure. That's great. That's great. Well, Mike, before we get out of here, we do have one uh, fun thing we always like to do whenever we have uh, elected officials on, um, and we have a a little lightning round uh, game that we are going to play about your district, if that works for you. Sure, sure. Awesome. Well, yeah, as we get started, too, we should uh, mention, so, you know, you represent District 5. you want to tell people kind of where that district sits in the city? Uh, generally, you're talking about uh, south of 27th Street, um, generally bounded by as far out in some uh, neighborhoods as, as uh, oh, almost all the way to there's Indiana, and there's a few other houses that are further east, uh, City Streets, Michigan, and then uh, to the west uh, around Arnold, okay. and then south south of the city limits. So it takes it in a pretty good sized area. Absolutely. Uh, and, yeah, and, and you know, I don't know who draws these areas up, but <laughs> they sure do a, do a lot to make it confusing sometimes. Because actually, I I share uh, an NIA with two other council members, Councilman. Uh, oh, wow. Emerson and Councilwoman uh, Ortiz. So, you know, we kind of overlap in some areas. Oh, gosh, it's funny. Well, let's see. So we've got our first question here is the favorite local restaurant in your district? You know, uh, I hate to say this, but coming, it, what comes to my mind is in my district what we've lost. Oh, gosh. Uh, I, I started thinking about that. And I thought, well, let's see. Uh, what do we have out there? Uh, I used to like steak and ale, but that was years ago. Uh, Bennigan's, Luby's, oh, Carlos Kelly, Casa. I mean, all, I went down oh, the list. Oh. Yeah. But right now, uh, my wife and I, we like to go uh, to El Gallo there at uh, oh, Coin Speaker. Yeah. It's so good. So I've gotten delivery yeah. from there multiple times. It's very good. Yeah. Good, very nice people there. Service is excellent. It's always clean. And the food is more than you can eat. That's absolutely. Uh, your favorite outdoor spot to relax in your district? In my district right now, to be honest, is my backyard. <laughs> uh, I mean, that is that is where I like to spend my time just yeah. taking it in and chilling. But, you know, in my district, we have a very excellent uh, community park 
uh, in Highcrest, the Betty Phillips Park oh, yeah. in Highcrest. I mean, that's a really nice, nice park. It serves that community well, and I think it's kind of a hidden gem in this city. I don't think many people uh, know about it or might even take the time to travel over there, but it is a really nice park. Absolutely. Uh, your your favorite attraction or thing to do in your district? You know, uh, right now, again, this is what helps being a council person. You get to see uh, the disparity of some uh, attractions, uh, economic development, sure. and, and 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 see where you're lacking. I got to thinking, okay, now I'm trying to think about where, what is, a, is a, an attraction that we can go to in this specific area of my district. And there, it's tough to find. Sure. Uh, there, there used to be, um, Oh, dance venues, uh, on 37th street. Uh, I loved going there. My wife and I love to dance, but there's really not that anymore. Um, that, um, one, uh, Country and Western Place on Topeka Boulevard, yeah, that that's uh, not really working, and it's not, you know, it doesn't appeal to everyone. Sure. Uh, so, uh, as far as uh, attraction, um, I, you know, I, I've taken my grandson's way south part of the district into Forbes to look at the, the oh, combat yeah. here. Combat Air Museum. Yeah. I'm look really looking forward to uh, the air show that's going to be coming. Yeah. If everything if everything goes back to kind of normal, and then we'll have there's that uh, the country stampede. So those are huge attractions that are uh, at the south end, and so those are some things that I'm anticipating and looking forward to. Absolutely, yeah. I think those those events are going to be great this summer. Um, if you had to choose one word to describe your district, what would it be? Oh, that's a tough one. Uh, I think it can't be so unique, but I think it it has to be. Um, I'll say challenging. Sure. And, and the reason, do you want an explanation for that? Sure. <laughs> well, it's like most districts. You have uh, portions of your district that um, are doing well and then others that are, are struggling. And uh, mine are just almost side by side, it seems like. Mm-hmm. And so uh, having been um, a lifelong resident, there's some areas that I've seen some change in and other areas that uh, I have not seen the change that is equitable to other progress in the city. And so for me, I think that's what I really tried to focus on right now. I'm working with a group of very hardworking businessmen to bring back the boulevard. I don't know if you've heard that. I or not. saw that. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, um, you know, for people who have lived here for some time, they know that the Topeka Boulevard in its heyday was really the place to be. Everybody was yeah. down out there cruising the boulevard, uh, and there were plenty of restaurants. There were plenty of things uh, to do, uh, and uh, there, uh, there, it has had a lack of attention for decades. And right now, the people I'm working with, they they are part of that 
group of people who remember that, and they know they can't um, recreate what was before, but they know they can. It can be a lot better than what it is now, sure. and so. That's why I'm trying to do what I can to help in their efforts. I think there there are some very uh, savvy business people who are bringing that business acumen to a collaborative effort between private uh, enterprise and, and government to move things forward. And so I'm really uh, optimistic about the changes that can happen uh, in my district, especially along South Topeka Boulevard um, in the next few years. And for you, I'm saying, uh, for me, I'd like to see two to four years sure. at the map. And, and I know that some people will say maybe, well, why don't you do something along this area and along that area? You know, you have to start somewhere. Absolutely, yeah. And then my hope is that where that progress is seen and developed will network out to other neighborhoods along the boulevard. Because we have some uh, striping neighborhoods along the boulevard that people sometimes forget about. And this will give them almost walking distance access to a lot of, uh, of the entertainment, res- uh, uh, restaurants, and, and hopefully more retail out here. So that's that's why I say challenging because there's a lot to be done, but I think it can be done if we go it uh, step by step. Absolutely. Well, and so the last question we have to ask, because of course this is Ballots and Brews, your favorite beer or cocktail? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, uh, I was down at uh, the uh, brew bank here the other night with oh, my yeah. wife. We were just having a nice, quiet time down there for our anniversary, which is also in February. Okay. And uh, and, uh, the uh, mix master there uh, offered me one of their, uh, I guess, dessert drinks. And that was pretty, pretty good. But. You know, my uh, the one most recently I tried with my wife down at the Cyrus Hotel was smoked whiskey. Oh, have you gosh. tried that? I have not, but I have heard good things. It, it's it's you know at first I thought oh, I'm not so sure about this, <laughs> but it was pretty tasty. I think I like that. That's awesome. Oh yeah, I've seen and the pictures of it look just cool too. I'm gonna have to try that out. Yeah. That's awesome. Very good. Well, Mike, thanks again so much for for hanging out with us today on your birthday. Well, I appreciate having the time to talk with you, Angel, and I think this is a great idea. It gives people a chance to just listen in, and like I said, I have the perfect face for radio, (laughs) and I put on my best uh, uh, clothes, so it worked out really well. (laughs) Absolutely. Hey, you and me both. That's awesome. Uh, Well, we're going to look forward to keeping up with all the happenings at the City Council. For the folks that are listening out there, we will be posting um, some links to the information we talked about um, on our social media pages as well. Uh, So go ahead and stay tuned. We're going to take a quick break, and then we'll be back uh, to end, as we always do, with our Take Action moment for tonight. So you're listening to Ballads and Brews here on KSA 785 Live Radio. All right, folks, for our take action moment tonight, we are just wrapping up with uh, another uh, quick hit on something that uh, Councilman Padilla uh, mentioned a little bit earlier um, as we talked about the capital improvement projects for the city of Topeka, the capital improvement um, project plan, the SIP 
um, as it's known by all the cool kids. Um, you know, as uh, Councilman Padilla mentioned, that that plan is something that is uh, pretty complex. It's a huge document with lots of information, but it is also something that is critically uh, important uh, to our city. It is a, a multi-year uh, strategic plan um, for the growth of our city. It's actually almost a 10-year uh, strategic plan for uh, growth of our city when it comes to these big capital improvement uh, projects. So these really big uh, infrastructure building construction type projects. Um, and the city of Topeka, we've, this has kind of been a recurring theme uh, that we talked about throughout the show, but the city of Topeka really does have a lot of information available on its website for folks to learn uh, more about different aspects of city government, and one of them includes this capital improvement project plan. Um, so you can actually, and we're going to put this link on our Facebook page, and we'll also be on our Twitter page, at Ballots Brews, uh, but you can actually go to topeka.org slash finance slash capital dash improvement dash projects. So topeka.org slash finance slash capital dash improvement dash product projects. Um, and you'll be able to find all kinds of information on the SIP on there. So for instance, you'll actually find um, a quick two minute video that's a kind of an explainer video from city staff on what exactly the SIP is. Uh, just underneath that video on that webpage, you'll actually see a calendar um, that relates to the development and implementation of the capital improvement project plan. Um, so you'll be able to see what meetings are scheduled um, and, and are, are upcoming. Um, so you'll see on there on February um, 17th, uh, last uh, yesterday actually, um, there was a meeting, or excuse me, you'll look at uh, February of last year, you'll look at the 2020 calendar on here and it'll give you um, examples of where they were at last year um, in that process. Um, and then below that, you'll actually be able to find um, information on past uh, plans, um, as well as information on upcoming uh, events that you can attend uh, to learn more about the capital improvement project uh, plan and to give your input uh, on the improvement project plans. Uh, so starting right at the top of that website, you can actually see the most recent, the 2022 to 2031 proposed capital improvement uh, project plan, capital improvement plan. Um, and so you'll be able to click on that document and it is a long document. It is, uh, yeah, I can tell you it's almost 300 pages long. Uh, so I do not plan to have anybody memorize this. There will be no test uh, at the end of it. Um, however, um, you can look through that document and you can actually go specifically to different areas. So if you wanted to know about, for instance, neighborhood uh, projects, public safety projects, quality of life projects, streets, traffic utilities, there are all kinds of different sections of that plan where you can see um, projects that are planned um, for these next 10 years, how the city is going to pay for them, what resources they're going to use, and that sort of thing. And so there's tons and tons of information uh, on this webpage for you to browse. And so I encourage you to learn more about the capital improvement plan and the capital improvement projects that are planned for the next 10 years. Um, as they do have, as the city meets, uh, just like they did for their workshop uh, last weekend, or actually two weekends ago, um, about the SIP, they will broadcast those meetings live um, on the City of Topeka's Facebook page and YouTube channel. So uh, be sure to check those uh, meetings out as well, where you can also learn more. But, you know, these things, they sound like kind of the, the minutia of uh, city government, but they are so important. And these are projects that are going to impact all of our lives for years to come. So I encourage you uh, to hop on there um, and spend a couple minutes just uh, getting yourself familiar um, with the capital improvement plan. Um, and then if there's something you have questions about or something you think should be included or that you don't like, um, contact your city council member and, and ask them questions um, and hold them accountable for that plan. So again, just another tool for you to um, learn more about what's planned for your city and, and become engaged with, with what's happening in your 
city government. And so, folks, that is it for our show tonight. Thank you so much for, for tuning in. Again, remember to say a happy birthday to Councilman Padilla if you see him out and about. Uh, but that's our show for tonight. So we'll see you back here next Wednesday on Ballots and Brews. So until then, please, please, please stay safe and healthy. Keep your distance. Wear your mask. Wash your hands. Uh, drink some good beer in the meantime. And we'll see you next Wednesday here on Ballots and Brews on KSEP 785 Live Radio. Right here is where I would say, now for a brief word from our sponsors, but I'm just sitting here waiting for you to put words in my mouth. So, for advertising opportunities, go to 785live.com.